Welcome to Discover Healthier, everything you need to know about health brought to you by Discovery Health. I'm Azania Musaka. You can join the conversation as we explore some of the most pressing matters in the healthcare environment today. A wide variety of topics and specialist guests will empower you to care for your health now and in the future. Before Dr. Sabelom Gomezulu returned to Mosfold Hospital in rural northern KwaZulu-Natal to offer dental care to patients in the area, their only option for dental treatment was having their teeth pulled out. Having breathed new life into dental care in the area, he is the epitome of what it means to be an Umtombo graduate. Dr. Mgomezulu, let's start by taking a look at your background. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're from and about yourself? Thank you, Avana. My background is a little bit very long, but I'll try to summarize. Basically, home is in Wavuma. There is an area called Angonyamin. Uh, that's under Ngwavuma. So that's where I was born and that's where I was raised. My dad was... Ever since I've known him, he was a miner, so he used to work in Johannesburg at the Cottonville Mines. And then my mother was a domestic worker. She never really worked anywhere, as far as I know. So she was uh, um, instead of a domestic worker, I said domestic worker, but she, she has never worked anywhere, as far as I know. So she was uh, staying home. Mm. In terms of the background, our father is the one that used to provide for us. But since, I mean, they had to move from Nguyenyamini to Johannesburg in Cottonville, that then transport was an issue, so you could just come home maybe twice in a year. Mm. So we used to stay at home with our mother, living in the cattle there. So that's what was so important to our parents. School was really never an option. Hmm. You know, so as, as a boy <laughs> growing up in a rural area, so you just going to have to look after the livestock at home. That's basically what was my role when I was growing up. And so if you think about that time and what you perceived to be your future, was mining and maybe even cattle herding potentially your future? Is that the path you were going to walk? Look, the way you are brought up, the meaning and the interpretation of being a man in future was you're going to have to head the cattle. So that's what was our future. That's what we were told. That this is, you have to look after this because this is your inheritance. This is what's going to make you a man one day. Mm. If you're ever going to work, you're going to have to go work where your father's working. Because normally, when our parents used, uh, reached um, a retirement age, instead of them just being retiring and staying at home, they will, the mining people will say, if you have an elder son that can come and work here mm-hmm. instead of you, so you can get your son to come to come to work. So in my mind, as a young boy growing under that environment, what I knew was, yes, I have to look after this inheritance, and I will go work where my father is working. So that was basically, basically what we had. So how did you hear about the Umtombo Youth Development Fund? Because it came and it took you away from that path. Look, I used to have a friend. His name was Stephen. The guy was very clever. Like I used to follow him. He was very intelligent. You know, his brother as well was very intelligent. So those are people that really 
led me to move away from the environment where I was growing up. Now I'm talking about Mbonyamini, which is a deep, deep rural. Mm. So we moved from there. We went to attend our high school somewhere else, which is a zombies high school. That's where I went with him as a friend. I did my standard six. Back then it used to be standard six. That's now grade eight. Yes. So we went there. When I got there, I performed very well. Like, just from like, from nothing. Yeah, from completely nothing. So I started performing very well. And then a teacher, that was my class teacher in grade eight, mm-hmm. which, which was standard eight back then. Then she supported the talent. Then one day she just called me and she said, look, you you think at eight, but I actually think that your mentality, your mind, is way above the class that you're doing now. So what I will do is, she went, she spoke to the principal of the school, and she said, look, there's this guy in my class, which I think where he is now, really, his mind is not that much stimulated. If he needed to skip one grade, the next grade. So that means I was going to skip grade mm-hmm. uh, grade nine and then they were trying to push me into grade ten. But the thing is I wasn't gonna do that in the high school where I was in that particular year. Mm-hmm. So I had to move again to another high school. So then I moved bit by bit I'm moving from the deep rural to trying to now approach where the better life is. Mm-hmm. So I moved from Zombie to Inguavoma High School. Inguavoma High School now it's something like four kilometers away from Mossville Hospital. So when I moved from Zambezi to Ingwavoma, now I had to leave my parents back there at Ingwavoma. So I'm living like all the life that we used to live there. Now I have to come and hire a room because I didn't have relatives closer to Ingwavoma High School, closer to Mossville. So they had to hire a room for me. The problem is who was going to pay for the room? Yes. As much as the school was good, I was approaching, like getting closer to the better life. And I was going to pay the room for me. Before I moved, in the course, my, my pastor spoke to me about this whole thing of moving from Zombie to there. And I started saying, you know what? As much as there's no one to buy me uniforms, as much as because our parents were really not supporting this going to school thing, they were focusing on raising a rural child to become a future man that's going to inherit everything and go work where they're working. So you were on your own in, in this journey of your education, seeking a better school, seeking a better opportunity. The different path, your parents were never going to support that. Yes, because the thing is, as much as they can see the vision, but they can't see the bigger picture where this following education thing is going to end. Yes. yes. So they couldn't support that. When I was on my own, then I decided, you know what? It's still beginning of the year. So we used to go to the forest, we would cut the wood, we would sell it. But that's on the weekend when we're not going to school. So I used to cut the wood and then we'll sell that, we'll sell that. Then I was saving that money bit by bit because I knew that there was now an opportunity for me moving into a better school. But I knew that my parents were not going to support that. Mm-hmm. So during that year, when I was going to eight, I had to start now going to cut the wood, start saving money and all of that. Around October and November, then I started buying my uniform. Mm. They gave me something, a new school, because the, the principal had agreed that they were going to give me a top out test to jump 
good a good uh, mind. Mm-hmm. You could be like, then I started buying my uniform, started organizing myself. Then I saved some money to to pay for to pay for for accommodation where I was going. I mean, accommodation was not that expensive. I mean, you would pay something like 150 rand per month and all of that. So the meeting that I was earning from the work that I was doing during the weekend, I served that. That's how I managed to finance my uniforms, everything, when I went to that school, to two of them, to go to school. And as you said, it was only four kilometers away from Mosfold. Yes. The, the, the new school that I was going to move into was four kilometers away from Mosfold Hospital. Mm-hmm. And that's where Dr. Andrew Ross, of course, uh, had worked. That's uh, where Dr. Andrew Ross was a medical manager right. in Mosfold Hospital. Yes. yes. So now because I was closer, and it was during the time where Dr. Andrews had just established um, Friends of Mosfold Scholarship Scheme. And at that time, they used to advertise the scheme, you know, they used to go to the schools, all of that, the idea that he has. Because what he felt was, as much as he was a white person coming from the urban area to work as a medical manager at Mosfold Hospital, when he got there, he had a challenge of so people never wanted to come to work in the rural area. So they were relying on the UK project when they send students to UK medical students in the town spend 10 months to 12 months practicing here, then they will go back. So he felt like, you know what, staff will not fall from heaven. I remember that that was him in his own way. What they needed to do as the leadership that was at Mosul at that time was to do something to develop the rural people People from around Ingavoma, people that call Ingavoma a home. So they wanted to develop those people to become medical professionals because they believed that if you transform a rural boy into a medical doctor, he's going to go to university, acquire a profession, come back and visit his community. He understands the community much better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. So those people are more likely to stay. So that was the idea. They were going all around the schools, high schools, selling that idea. And so your medical education started. You studied at Wits University, pursuing your medical qualification. But along the way, temptation got the better of you. Tell me that story about how you almost let this opportunity slip out of your hands. So then I managed to finish my materials with good grades and all of that. And then with that motivation from Mosul, from the Friends of Mosul Scholarship Scheme, knowing that there is an opportunity of going to university. So we worked very hard. So when we went to Mosul, we met Dr. Ross, and Dr. Ross said to us, you know what, there is finance. You guys have an opportunity of going to university. But a part that you guys have to do is to acquire good grades. You know what, when you speak to somebody and somebody just lights that candle for you to say, behind this candle, there is light, but this is what you need to do. So then we went back and we were like, you know what, let's do our part. Let's acquire good grace. We did. We acquired good grace. They facilitated everything. We got to vet. Everything was good. But now, imagine a real boy with nothing, from nothing. Some people used to say from humble beginning. This was not a humble beginning. This was from nothing. We moved from a rural area to a big city with all the challenges that exist in Johannesburg. We were there struggling. I will speak about myself. English was a big issue at the time. As 
much as I had acquired good grades in matric, but still, communication was a big issue. That's what Dr. Rosa was saying to us. You know what? I do not want you, as a group coming from Ngogoma, to become friends. Pick good friends. Pick white friends. That's what he will say to us, so that you can learn to speak the language. Because if you can hear what the lecturer is saying to you, then you are more likely to understand what they're teaching you. You motivated us to do that. You know what? It can be a black person coming from a private school, speaking good English, make them your friends so that you can speak the language. Instead of grouping yourself and you still continue with the Zulu that you need to speak. Mm. We went there, the challenges, you know, like now you're becoming friends with people that have access to everything. Then you ask yourself, how am I going to be friends with somebody who has a laptop and a gun? Most of us are paying for everything. We were tempted. I got tempted. I speak for myself, I got tempted. For me, it was more selfish. Not because I really needed more resources, because friends of Moses were providing everything that we needed. They were buying books, paying for food, paying for residence, paying for tuition, and everything. So it was being selfish and greedy, because now I was exposed to money. This money was not really meant for me. This money was meant for another student. Had the buzzer from the Department of Health in KZN, and we also got a buzzer from the Friends of Moses. So when they paid his fee, the tuition fee, I think it was around 50000 or less, then the department paid for him, and friends of Mozart also paid. But when we got there, I was more of like a leader to a group, to our group. So I knew about this whole thing that was going on. That's when I tried to defraud the whole thing. To defraud, because remember the department of had paid for him, and friends of Moswell had paid for him. So it was like they paid twice for him in that particular year. So one of the of those funds was supposed to be refunded. And but the, the money for the friends of Moswell is the one that was going to be refunded. And in this attempt to defraud this fund, you and your friends actually got you suspended, not just from the program, but from the university. What a disruption that was. Were you devastated at the time about your foolishness? When I, when I got caught from this whole thing, then the university decided that there was going to be a disciplinary hearing. So they gave me a fair chance. Come forward, plead guilty, or plead not guilty. So I was given that opportunity. But remember, the university has a legal team as well. So the legal team of the university was in that primary attempt. I pleaded not guilty. I was like, I don't know. Because the money was not transferred. I was caught before the money was transferred into my account. Mm. So it never came into my account. So then I had an opportunity to please to please guilt and apologize and show remorse for whatever I was trying to do, but I did not do that. I said I did I did not do this. So then the trial went on and on and on. But the good thing that happened is the university decided to deal with everything internally, even internal process of the university. They did not include police and all of that. So the disciplinary hearing occurred and I found guilty. You went on to work for another organization for a number of years, and this derailed your dentistry um, qualification by a period when you were out there in the wilderness. How did you make your way back in, back into the Umtombo fold, back into this prestigious university to complete your dentistry qualification? You really take me through everything that happened. After I was found guilty and suspended from the university, this is like permanent exclusion. So that means we never, ever come back to this institution. Never. Then, Dr. Andrew Ross knew a lady by the name Leslie Ann. 
that had non-profitable organization that was banned. So the organization used to deal with ex-cons, like us offenders. So they, they used to rehabilitate them, take them from prison, educate them, and then take them back to the, and integrate them back to the community. So then he told me about this lady. He gave me the contact details of the lady. I found her. I went to meet with her. She knew the whole story about me. Then she was like, okay, we're going to give you a three-month probation. Under that organization, they had a department called Restorative Justice. If they wanted to show me I was wrong, then I could go back to the university and apologize. Instead of just going to appeal, but just to recognize that I did something wrong. Because by me pleading not guilty, it was like I'm not showing any remorse. I don't see anything wrong with what I did. So the restorative justice, that's the department that I went under. And then we started working there. And this was in 2009. I started working there. You know, when I was in that organization, I just integrated myself very well. They developed this so much trust. They saw the potential in me in such a way that it was more like they ended up forgetting about what I came here for. They started giving me a bigger opportunity. I remember in 2010, they sent me to England. I went to England to work with psychologists in a program called Silence the Violence. So I went to England. I worked there. When I came back from England, they sent me to Parliament. I used to work in Parliament as well. Not as a politician, but there was a program, Parliament program called Bokamo Sobarun. It's like our future is in your hands. Mm. This is like the CEO of that organization recognizing the potential in me. But you know what? As much as this guy came here because he did something wrong, but I still know that we can do with him. So we used to appeal. In 20, I think our first appeal with the restorative justice department. It was in 2010 when we first appealed to that. They said, no, now the guy is admitting his wrongdoing. Now he's asking for, for forgiveness. He wants to come back to the university. was like, no, do not forgive this man back. That, that, that was in 2010. We forgot about appealing. I just continued waiting for them. Everything went so well. Then in 2011, I did this on my own. I wrote a letter to the university, to that university, to say, look, this is not anyone pushing me. This is me recognizing my own mistakes. I've been out here. I worked with ex-offenders, people that have made up people, people that, that have committed all these serious things, and I've seen how people can change. This is me being a changed person. Now, I'm coming to you as a university, not by being supported by anyone, but on my own. I'm asking for forgiveness. Then they're willing to listen. That's amazing. And you're able to resume your dentistry education. You obviously since have qualified. You've gone back, in fact, into your community and you're offering a service that wasn't there previously. What did that second chance mean to you? You know, when they called me for that particular interview, there was a team of lawyers, advocates, and vets, and I was there by myself. Not even the organization I was working for was there. All I had was a letter from Dr. Andrew Ross and Dr. Gavin saying that as the sponsors, he has asked for forgiveness. He has admitted his wrongdoing, and we can see transformation in him. That organization also wrote a letter. The parliament also, the project that was why I was working for in parliament also wrote a letter. But I went there to the myself. I said to them, look, dentistry is the only thing I think I know. Out of all the things that I have experienced, dentistry is the only thing I know. If you give me that opportunity, that opportunity is not just for me. It's for the community of Ingwazuma that I've left behind. <laughs> 
It's okay. Take your time, Dr. Mgomizul. Why are you so moved right now? Can you tell me what you're feeling when you reflect on that time and the community that you now serve? The thing is, you know, what I'm feeling right now, I'm just remembering when I was sitting in front of that panel, you know, some of the professionals that were sitting there to listen to my appeal, they began to realize that this was just a pure mistake that has happened. Not to shift any responsibility to anybody else, but I went there and I told them that, yes, I was wrong. I did this their hand that was feeding me, but they cannot punish all the people that are sitting there in Gavoma waiting for this golden opportunity to come back for them just because one person has made a mistake. I did try by all means to show them that this was not just for me. Let's talk about how you've impacted this community. How does it feel? What has it meant, in fact, to be able to treat and provide a service like this for your own mother? After graduating, post this whole thing, when I graduated, in my mind, I always just say that I had to go back. And I did go back. Not as a qualified dentist. I went back to Mozart as a person that belongs to that community. The service that was not there when I left in 2001, those services were still not provided for the community of Mosford. So I made a commitment to myself, not because I had to pay back the funds of Mosford, not because I had to, to go back and I had it in me. But the reason why, in the first place, I went to vet was because I wanted to improve the life of the people of the woman. And I went back. When I arrived, Mosvold, I went back to that in 2013 and qualified in 2015. So in 2015, I was, 2016, I was doing my community service. So when I went back there, they were still just doing extractions, which is just the removal of the teeth. Then I made a commitment to myself that, you know what, the promise that I promised in terms of Mosvold's scholarship scheme, that if you give me this opportunity, I'll come and change the lives. So in that same year, when I was doing my community service, I was able to introduce the restoration, which is now the feeling of the team, the seizure feelings. We were doing surgical. You know, what used to happen is if you attempt to remove a tooth, if it breaks or you're not able to remove it, the doctor that was there in 2016 in Ahara, she used to refer that to Bethesda Hospital, which is something like close to 100 kilometers from Mosvold, or from Wellesland, which is in Mbangen, which is around 200 kilometers. Imagining the people in government that are not employed, they don't have a source of income, where are they going to get that money to go and remove the tooth? And that because it's painful, so they have to do it. And I understand this was done in a regular chair, not even a dentist's chair. You've managed to lobby and get assistance from the Department of Health to get decent equipment and a much-needed dentist chair. There was a dental chair at Mosvold, but I mean, you can only do a few things right. in that chair. But when you go to the Alistair Clinic for outreach, you could just get patients on a plastic chair. If that took place, you're not even allowed to carry those patients in a government car to take them to the hospital where you can help them. You just have to tell them that now the tooth is broken and then they're going to have to find a way to get the money to get to the hospital. Flighting, asking that the, the, the head of it at, at KZN to say, guys, can you please just get us a new dental chair? It wasn't easy. It didn't happen over, over a month. But at, at the end, we managed to get a state-of-the-art 
Central Chair, that the Department built for us. If I'm not mistaken, that chair was about 298,000 per for us. We do have the chain out most of it's working. Not just the chain. We never had dental x-ray unit. Now we've got a new dental x-ray unit. Just recently, Azania, we just got a new autoclave. Autoclave that's for disinfection. We got like a state-of-the-art autoclave that just arrived at Northwood. So the lives of people, including my own mother, have changed. I remember to the day, my mother had a, 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 a painful tooth. She came to the hospital. And I was there, and I helped my own mother in a nice state of the art dental care. In fact, that's what I went back for. Absolutely priceless. It's priceless. Dr. Mkomezulu, you've also started preventative dental health, and that's at local schools in and around your area. Just talk us through what it is that you do with the children and the ripple effects that it's having on their dental health into the future. Basically, dentistry was just one thing that no one really cared about until people can experience some pain and children can experience pain. That's when, uh, like, adults who uh, are parents will then rush the children to the hospital. But what we decided to do ever since I came to work at Moses is to have um, a school uh, school program. So what we do with the school program is we visit the schools. We do a screening. The screening is actually really looking inside the mouth what the problem is there. Mm. So there are some children that they have their teeth that require a filling, which is the restoration of the teeth. For some of them, they need extraction because filling which is not painful now. Mm. a week or two weeks time, which is going to start causing problems. So we then refer them to the hospital, and then their parents can actually bring them to the hospital. So it's a very good program. The program will also do a preparation program. So as I'm speaking now, we have partnered with Colgate. Not necessarily partnering, but we have requested Colgate if they can donate some toothpaste or toothbrush, and then we take that to the schools, and then we do a brushing program in the schools, which has a very big impact because most of our children now, they don't really need to have their teeth extracted. Instead of that, we do a prevention um, what is it that you've been able to do for yourself and what is it that you've been able to do for your extended family as a result of the profession that you have, thanks from the, the Umtombo Youth Development Fund and the help that they've provided? Since I managed to have this opportunity to go to school in children are going to the best schools, schools that I never thought that any of my families can go there, not because we don't want to, but because we couldn't afford that. Because I went to school, finished, graduated, now I'm back here. I am able now to change the life of my kids, unlike the way I grew up. So now they can go to the best schools, the private schools, not to say that public schools are not good enough, but I mean, now we have an option. I can do that. My family, I'm also supporting my younger brothers at school as well, so they're going to school again. Because now, you know, when somebody is your own model, you have somebody to look up to. I also go to school, like to the local schools, we're talking to the kids, encouraging them to study. Then education is the best way uh, to, to, to solve everything. We understand that some people 
can go to school, uh, acquire a degree, and come back home and don't, don't have a job. But looking at what happened to us, if I was, if it wasn't for education, it wasn't for the house that God from Umtom, mm-hmm. I, I don't visibly really about their life at the moment because I could have gone work in the mine. Come on. All the bad things can happen to them. But thanks to Umtom for giving us opportunity, especially I'll speak on my behalf, it changed my, my life. Like with my parents, I managed to give them a very, very nice house, a double stock house, something that they have never even thought of that they could have. But I managed to do all of that because of the opportunity I got from them from the seven of them. Oh, just incredible. The multi-generational impact that you've described, I think, is, is just staggering because future generations in your family will continue to reap the rewards of the education that you managed to get. But nowadays, even when we go to the schools to speak to the children, we can see the hope that you bring into the younger generation. Because we know this person. This is my uncle and the doctor and it wants to be like him, you know. But now we have created that role model. It is still gonna have a big intervention way, way, way after. Thank you so much for your time. You're an inspiration. Thank you. It's one thing to talk to Umtombo graduates who have finished their degrees and settled into their practices, and another to hear from a medical student still in the thick of the challenges that come with university life and finishing a medical degree. Dumsanim Tembu is currently completing his sixth year of medicine, and without the support of Umtombo's mentorship program and funding from Discovery, he would have found himself on a very different path. Let's chat to the future Dr. Mtembu. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us about your background. Well, Tumsanin Tembu is the rural boy from part of KZN, grew up in a village called Gazini, in the local municipality called Sabadina, and that's where I was born and bred. Did my primary and secondary education there. And yeah, I'm from quite a big family, but of note is that in current academic family to say I was the first to seek higher education. Mm. And you're currently doing your sixth year of medicine, right? How is that going? It's sixth year medicine, yes, it's interesting and but it's quite epic. You need to sacrifice your time, you need to sacrifice your sleep. It's just to balance the two, having to study and having to work full time. Like the whole day at the hospital, you have to come back and try and study what you have experienced during the day. And of course, it's rewarding, like that sitting with the patient in the cubicle, we deal with their problems. Next time they're in the ward, the next time they are being discharged walking. It's interesting and it's very rewarding. Mm. But how did you first hear about and get involved, in fact, with the Umtombo Youth Development Foundation? Being a local sponsor, it's, a, it's something that most people happen to know about. It. But personally, I got to hear about it from the brother from church who happened to study medicine at the University of Papua So he told me about the sponsor, and I then tried to find out more right on there and website got the information and normally they have 
the information available to the local people at the local hospital. So I went to Maguzi Hospital, that's where I got more information also, the forms. And yeah, the procedure, how to get there, they just require to be a local person. I am local in around Maguzi Hospital, and being a local person, then you qualify, but on top of that, you need to show interest in health sciences. So I did my week of volunteer work at the hospital as part of the requirements that I applied. Upon application, it was 2014 then when I applied, and I was then invited for an interview in January when I had already been accepted at the West of Except for an interview, there were around 14, and the four of us were selected, and I started them. That's when my journey started with the hometown development trust. You were describing what university life is like. It's difficult, it's stressful, it requires a lot of sacrifice. But how has being part of Umtombo helped you? It sort of fills the gap where you need someone who has been there, especially being from the family where no one has been to the university. You need someone to talk to. You need someone who understands what you're going through. So they come handy when you need them both sides. They give us some mentorship, they give us support, not only financially, but morally. They support us from time to time. They call, they come, visit us, they see us, find out how we do academically and emotionally. That sort of gives us a bit of a, of a push also to do better, knowing that there's someone who wants to know and who are also interested in, in, in what you're doing. They support a lot, not to, to mention the financial part. That, that one, I felt like my father is alive again because I know when I need something, I can always talk to someone. And each time you ask for something, they're always willing to do. Sometimes you will send a request for transport money. Within an hour, it's in your account, you know, that then you can proceed with those studies without stress. So, yeah, they, they are all in all, if I were to say it. I mean, without them, I don't know what thing mm, That's such an incredible testimony of just the, the various areas of your studies Umtombo touches. It must be quite a relief, you know, to know that someone is in your corner, that someone is cheering you on and um, providing yes. this kind of financial assistance. What has it meant for you? Sometimes you, you get a chance to, to sit Back, especially during holidays, and you, in retrospect, you look at the year and with your statement, you check how much you were supposed to pay or other your family was supposed to pay, knowing that no one would do it for you in the family. And you just know that there was a good Samaritan who owed you nothing, who just came into your rescue and do such a thing for you. It, it just melts my heart. It, it teaches me that, I mean, there are people out there who are willing to do good things regardless of the outcome and also without any expectation coming back to them. Hmm. You mentioned that you are the first in your family to pursue a higher education qualification. What has that meant? What is this, the Mtembu family seeing their son going to university, meant for your parents, your siblings, and by extension, your community? It's a privilege. It's a humble task that I, I take the community. I mean, it could have been anyone, but I feel like I'm privileged to have 
been in such a situation where I set such a milestone for the family. I I feel like it's, it's, it's a privilege also to be the ambassador of the family and also my village. Um, the first in the village, Edward Ben, who is in the university studying medical studies. So it, it, it's a responsibility that I see. I feel like I'm carrying a, a load on my shoulders. I have to represent them well. I mean, I'm about 600 plus kilometers away from home. And each time they, they ask us, maybe do rotations and stuff, I have to explain clearly to the people around how they, okay, like, okay, David, no, I'm not from David. I'm from the northern part of Southern. But to know that there's someone who can leave that place, and they try to find out. I was talking to my friends, talking about electricity and stuff. I was telling them, man, I don't know what electricity is. Neither do I know how it feels to cook in a kitchen when it's stove and everything. So I'm like, yeah, it's, it's been a long journey, but I enjoy it. Now it, it has taught me a lot. I, I know that you can always improvise when the resources are not where you want them, but there's always uh, some spirit that you need to push regardless of what is not there, you just need to work with what is there. So I, I feel I feel humbled, lucky and privileged to 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 be in this profession. You speak now of being able to have these dual experiences. You're at an advantage because you know uh, very tough conditions, you know. Uh, but coming into a university environment, is it's, it's challenging. It's absolutely challenging. What are some of the things that you had to battle through, um, that you had to become accustomed to and adjust to in this new environment because you attend in Pretoria, University of Pretoria? Yes. I must say, the weather, I'm from the coastal place, and I have to live inland now. The air is not as clean. So I, I suffered a bit when I got here. I had some allergic to reactions to things like smoke and noise. I couldn't cope. I couldn't sleep. I would spend sleep at night because I was not used to noise at night and stuff. Where I'm from, it's quiet. So there's no smoke. It's nothing. Got accustomed to that. And that environment itself was something new to me. I started crossing the roads, knowing what the robots mean. At times, I have to break when the cars are coming. But I, I quickly learned those things. But to also adapt to the indoor life where you just need to do everything in, in, indoors, it was new. I was never used to a toilet within the house, teaching within the house. But I had to quickly learn and get into the university now from. Sulu background where we speak Sulu with freedom, everyone would understand. And now I get here, everything is in English. I had to quickly adjust to that. And also, you know, when you're reading something in English, you have to quickly interpret to mother tongue and quickly try to understand and reproduce. But well, I think the university itself has, has some programs for that. We had some modules in the first year where they were changing people for all such things. And uh, I feel like they helped. And of course, the pace now was a challenge. I mean, everything you have to study books, not one book over a month or two. You have to finish and quickly write and start something new. I had to keep up with that. But I was someone who was also used to reading from the church where I'm from. It's a reading church. So I have learned to push myself when it comes to reading. And of course, uh, even odd. Sleeping hours when I came to university, you have to sleep late, wake up early. But I quickly adjusted. I think the best investment that I made to give myself is uh, good health. I kept myself 
and healthy so the body was able to adjust and keep up with the stress. And also I think discipline, the discipline that I was taught at home and that I decided to keep my form helped me to also plan my time right and be able to balance study, sleep. So when do you graduate? Because we're certainly looking forward to calling you Dr. Dumsanim Tembu. Well, if, if all goes well, there'll be an odd ticking coming in November. I think you'll be there week of November that we will be raising our hands to pledge to the people of South Africa that to accept them with dignity and let them be happy. What are your dreams? What do you hope to do when you go back once you're done? Or where you will be serving? What do you still want to do? But maybe one would have to share with you some dream that I have for my for my community in that place. It's quite a rural place like I said. Not as what is nothing, but I wish we can have something that will exist. So a health center that will cater for the people around and from far and wide. People will come to be treated holistically and be healed both emotionally and physically will do I I mean not be hands on it but I would want to fund it just as, as, as something to give back to my community. It's a very heavy burden of disease, but I would really love to give back to them in, in, in the form of a health center, well-established, where they would assess health services without any payment required. And if possible, if God gives me energy and power, I would also want to have an orphanage dedicated to them and, and more, and more. Can exhaust them, but I, I, I really would love to see a nation that is conscious of, 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 of our of our health nationally. I would, I would want to do programs that would sort of concentrate South Africans on their on their health in terms of education in schools, going to churches and taxi ranks as well as the just to teach people. Because I mean, if if you keep treating disease when people don't know how they contact it, then it's a waste of resources. We need to make sure that we cut the supply. We need to deal with the root zone. If you were in front of me, I would give you a hug, honestly. You're dreaming big, intent on changing the world <laughs> and shaping your society for the better. We thank you for that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad. The biggest hug to you, Dumsani. All of the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you'll be moved and inspired by other episodes in the Discover Healthier podcast series, celebrating the achievements of South African medical doctors. Be sure to tune in to hear my interviews with more remarkable medical professionals who've been supported by Discovery's funding and vision for excellence in South African private and public health care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Discover Healthier, brought to you by Discovery Health. Join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Discover Healthier and tag at Discovery underscore SA. You can subscribe to our podcast channel, Discovery South Africa, on your favorite podcast app or visit discovery.co.za to listen to our shows.